the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And verses 17 through 19 argue for the plenary inspiration of Scripture that God inspired all of it down to the very words the writers used. If we are to believe that the Word of God, both the Old and the New Testament, should be our authority, our guideline for living, then we need to realize that each and every word penned by the writers, as inspired by the Holy Spirit, are accurate. We're going to hear a lot more about this on today's edition of Study Verse by Verse. We're actually in the New Testament, the book of Matthew, the fifth chapter, and a section called the Beatitudes, a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. This is an outreach ministry of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno, featuring the teaching of Senior Pastor Leighton Sheely. They're on the web at highlands.us. The Old Testament actually contains just a few actual rules and regulations, but it contains many broad principles that we as God's people need to uh, uh, apply to daily living. But you know, for some people, principles are too ambiguous. And, 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 and so they want something more specific. They want to know where the line is. Usually so they can get as close to the line as they can. And, uh, and what they, they assume is that if the Scriptures don't say something explicitly, then you can uh, deduct implicitly from them rules and regulations. And there was a group of people called the scribes who made it their job to reduce the principles of the Old Testament to rules and regulations. The scribes were the ones who created these rules and regulations. The Pharisees were the ones who kept the rules and regulations. Jesus said of the Old Testament, not these commentaries or I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I came is a declaration of mission. Not to abolish, not to do away with, but to fulfill. Now the word fulfill here can be understood in three different ways. It can mean that he would do the things that were outlined in Scripture. Or secondly, it could mean that he would bring out the meaning of Scripture by his teaching And a third way it can be understood is that he would bring Scripture to its completion. He would complete Scripture. And each of these uh, describes an aspect of truth. He probably meant this in all three ways. First, in terms of fulfilling the things laid down in Scripture, Jesus fulfilled the things laid down in Scripture in every detail. He fulfilled the law perfectly. No one was ever able to accuse him of any sin. He always did what God commanded him to do. Notice that Jesus said He not only fulfilled the law, but He also fulfilled the prophets. And the prophets were those who described in the Old Testament the coming of the one who would deliver Israel and redeem mankind. The prophecies described who He would be, where He would be born, what He would do, how He would suffer, and how that suffering would ultimately bring benefit. So when Jesus said that He had come to fulfill the prophets, He meant that He had come to fulfill Old Testament prophecies concerning this one who was promised. The word that Matthew uses here for fulfill occurs ten times, 
And what it oftentimes describes is that coming into being that which was promised or described in the Old Testament. You know, Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies of the Old Testament, some very, very specific, like the one in Zechariah. And, uh, you know, if someone uh, pulled out a deck of cards and said, I've shuffled the deck of cards, and they started flipping over cards, and as they flipped them over, they came out one, two, three, four, five, six, what would your conclusion be? They were, weren't very good at shuffling, or the deck was stacked, right? Um, scientists tell us that there are about four times 10 to the 84th power atoms in the universe. That's a number followed by 84 zeros. That's a really big number. Atoms in the universe. And they tell us that the chances of one person fulfilling a fraction of those 300 prophecies is greater than the chance of marking one of the atoms in the universe, taking a miniature astronaut, sticking him in the middle of the universe, blindfolded, and giving him one chance to pick the one atom out of the entire universe that you marked. It is a statistical impossibility for someone accidentally to fulfill these prophecies of the Old Testament, which leads you to the logical conclusion, God stacked the deck. History is His story. Jesus fulfilled those Old Testament prophecies. And then second, in terms of um, bringing out the full meaning of Scripture, Jesus also fulfilled the law in His teaching, which is what brought Him into conflict with the religious leaders because He opened the Word of God in a new and living way. They were used to the letter of the law, which kills, and He brought the Spirit of the law, which brings life. How is it that we can fulfill the law? By having and yielding the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to live within us and work in our lives to bring us into alignment and obedience with Christ's design for us. And then there is a third way in which Jesus brought the Scripture to completion, and that was by dying on the cross and satisfying the demands of the law against those who put their faith in Him. You see, the Old Testament sacrifices were not an end in themselves. They were signposts to point towards Jesus. And the message that God was trying to communicate through the Old Testament sacrificial system was that sin brings death. Either death to the individual that created the sin, or else death to an innocent substitute. And Jesus fulfilled the law when He became our innocent substitute and bore the curse of the law on Calvary's cross. He fulfilled the Old Testament types and ceremonies. They're no longer uh, required of the people of God. He set aside the old covenant and gave us a new and better covenant. Verse 18, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. One of the scholars pointed out that when you look at the Old Testament prophets, they usually begin uh, with saying something like, thus saith the Lord. And you look at the New Testament and what the apostles wrote, uh, they often begin with the saying, it, it, it was written. But when you look at what Jesus said, He says, I say unto you. He spoke with authority. Why? Because He had authority. Why? Because He was God in the flesh. This verse is a testimony of Jesus to the verbal inspiration of Scripture that divine inspiration extends to the words and even the letters of the original text. 
And verses 17 through 19 argue for the plenary inspiration of Scripture that all of the parts of the Old Testament were inspired by God, that God inspired all of it down to the very words the writers used. Christ was referring to the Old Testament. Jewish Scriptures are our Old Testament. And describing it as the Word of God, absolute, eternal, unchangeable. He says, until heaven and earth pass away. It's a reference to the end of created things. Heaven here does not denote the third heaven where God resides. It's, it, it's talking about part of creation because it's used in conjunction with the word earth. Remember, when we hear the word creation, we immediately think earth. But if you read through the creation account, God didn't just make the earth. He also made the sun and the stars and the heavens as well. It's all part of His creation. So the phrase here, heaven and earth, is a reference to the totality of creation. The Bible spans from Genesis through Revelation. Genesis is the book of beginnings, and at the beginning of the book of Genesis it says, in the beginning. And it's not a reference to the beginning of everything, it's a reference to the beginning of this creation. Because the Word says, in the beginning, God. So God already pre-existed creation. It's talking about this creation. We don't know when the rebellion that was led by Satan took place. It could have been before this creation or it could have been just after the beginning of this creation. But the Bible also ends with a curious invitation. The spirit and the bride say, come. And then it goes on to describe a feast that has only just begun. The point being is we're given this much, but there's much more to follow. Jesus said this present fallen creation will pass away, but what is said in Scripture will never pass away. And then he references what the English Standard Version calls the iota or dot, and what the King James says is the jot or tittle. And what Jesus here is saying is the Bible is not only in authority, it's even authoritative to the smallest part The smallest letter, which the King James calls the jot, is little more than an apostrophe. The smallest letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And and what the King James calls a tittle is a serif. Now we're familiar on computers today with serif and sans serif or without serif fonts. It's just talking about the serif. And what Jesus is saying is the law is so sacred that even the smallest part of it will never pass away. Jesus believed that every word of Scripture was the Word of God. And I often use this illustration when teaching our Discovering Highlands class. There was an occasion when the Sadducees came to Jesus with a trick question, asking about marriage in the afterlife and resurrection. And the interesting thing was the Sadducees didn't believe in an afterlife, which is why they were sad, you see. That joke is older than I am. They didn't, they, believed in, they didn't believe in the afterlife. They believed this world was all you get, this life was all you get, and you cease to exist. So it was interesting they would come to Jesus with this trick question about the afterlife. And in response, Jesus first rebukes them for their lack of knowledge, and then he goes on to quote from Exodus chapter 3, where God is meeting with Moses at the burning bush and says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the point that Jesus is making here is that there is life after death. Because 
Moses lived 400 years after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had lived and died. Therefore, if they had died and ceased to exist, God would have said, I was, past tense, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The fact that God said, I am, present tense, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, meant that even though they had died, they had not ceased to exist. Jesus believed not only the words of Scripture were the words of God, the tense of the words were chosen by God as well. You've been listening to a study in the book of Matthew, the fifth chapter, the Sermon on the Mount, and specifically the Beatitudes from Pastor Leighton Sheely of Church of the Highlands in San Bruno on the web at highlands.us. At Church of the Highlands, one of the ways that the congregation grows in its understanding of God's Word is to get involved with a growth group. The goal is to have every member of the church involved in either a growth group or another similar small group experience, the purpose of which is to study God's Word and to support one another spiritually. More information about the growth groups at Church of the Highlands can be found on the website highlands.us. Have a great rest of your day and come back on Thursday when we'll wrap up this particular message and study verse by verse.